Today's scripture comes from Romans 10, 9 through 15. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Lord God, we are here before you right now. We just pray that you would open us up to hear from you. That you would open our ears to hear words that you have to speak. Words of love and truth. That you would open our hearts to receive you, Lord. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm wondering if anyone here has ever been on a backstage tour of something. One of those experiences where you get to like kind of peel the curtain back and see what's going on uh, behind the scenes. Um, maybe the backstage of like a concert. You know, a lot of people get to see that. I've never been backstage at a concert, but I hear it's something. Uh, you get the special wristband, you know, the whole deal. Um, I, heard, I had a friend once that got to go backstage at Disneyland and see where all the employees work and like where they, where they eat lunch <laughs> and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, apparently that was very interesting. Um, you know, there's something about seeing these like inner details, these inner workings of a place that kind of show you the rest of it in this fuller image, this fuller picture. And I was in Louisville, Kentucky for a pastor's conference a few years ago. And Kentucky's known for a few things. Uh, I don't know how well you all know Kentucky. Uh, they got some chicken, uh, and it's fried. They're known for that. Um, they are known for the Kentucky Derby, uh, if, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, good for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, they are also known, especially Louisville, for Louisville Sluggers, you know, the, the baseball bats. And I was a little more interested in that than the other things, although I like chicken. Uh, but the Louisville Slugger baseball bats was, was interesting to me, and it was, it was near the hotel where I had my conference. It was within walking distance. So uh, I went down there, and there's this museum as part of the factory where they make all the bats, and uh, I was able to take a tour, and you can get these little mini bats, and if you spend two more dollars, then you get the tour kind of thing. So if you just buy the bat and walk out of the store, it costs you know, a certain amount of money. But if you do the tour, you get the bat for free, and it's like two more dollars. So I'm like, okay, I'll do the tour. Um, and it is just very interesting to see the inner workings of a place like that. I mean, I, I knew that they made baseball bats. I knew they were made out of wood. I didn't realize that every major league player had their own specifications for how they want their own bat. I mean, if this is your first year, maybe you don't, maybe you're using some generic bat, but if you've been there for a while, and, and when I was there, uh, they were getting ready for spring training to start up. And for spring training, the players all order a certain number of bats because they break them, right? So, so it's not like one bat for your career, 
right? They're, they're breaking these and wearing them out. So they order uh, something like 100 bats for spring training, you know, each player. And, and they need to be perfect, and they need to be exact. And, and there's different weights, and there's different way of having the handle weigh more, and the, the end of it weigh more, and, and different materials, and, and of course, colors, uh, are, are popular and big, especially if you want your team color on your, on your baseball bat or something like that. And they had bins and barrels of bats with different major league players' names and numbers and what team they were on, uh, on each barrel as they kept making bats and, and were putting them in. Uh, and it was just very fascinating to see kind of the inner workings of this thing that, quite frankly, I've just taken for granted my entire life. Uh, and, and if I remember right, it was something like 75% of Major League Baseball players go through Louisville Slugger to get their bats. So, I mean, there is other bat uh, producers, if you will. This is not a sermon about baseball, but I'll get to the point. Uh, but it is interesting, right? Some of you are like, no, this is the best sermon I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's very fascinating to see this behind the scenes, pull back the curtain, uh, what's going on, how does this work, and, and to take something that seems so simple as a batter walking up and, and having their bat on their shoulder and seeing the detail that goes into that. And uh, the, the person giving us the tour said, you know, it, it may seem uh, a little extreme to a lot of us that, uh, that the bats need to be so precise in, in weight and all this stuff. But they said, we normally get five or six returned bats from each player every year where they pick it up and they go, nope, that's wrong. And they can just tell that that is not the bat that I practice with every single day, every day of the week, uh, that I went through spring training with, that I got ready for the season with. They pick it up, nope, that's not right. Uh, and they get returned. And uh, the reason I bring this up is today we're going to do a little bit of that, kind of back behind the scenes kind of tour, but we're going to do it with uh, kind of Biblical Christianity as a whole. Uh, this is the last sermon in this series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, but what we're going to do is kind of break down each little phrase in the Creed. And they're, they're pithy, and there's a lot there. They're not uh, just thrown in there uh, randomly. And we're going to look at Scripture, uh, as this all reflects on Scripture, right? So we're going to look at what is the Scripture that's reflecting here. So this is your backstage tour of uh, Christian theology, if you will. And my name's Pastor John, and I'm glad that you're here on this tour with us today. <laughs> I hope you have a good time. Uh, before we get into that, why don't we uh, read the Apostles' Creed together? So uh, if you could put that up on the screen here. Uh, you can't read that one yet. It's too small. So how about the next one? And then we'll start right in the orange, and then we'll just read through all of us together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So two weeks ago, we talked some about the history of the Apostles' Creed when it was first written, what was going on, what was going on in the church, and there was a lot of division in the church, and the church was starting to uh, kind of fragment, and this was used uh, partially, uh, at least to a large extent, used to uh, help bring some unity to a church that was starting to split uh, on a number of different uh, theological issues. And then last week, uh, I talked more about throughout the centuries, how has the church used this document? Um, and what can we learn from that today? And again, today we'll kind of go just, just simply go line by line. Uh, in my notes, when I quote scripture, I highlight it in green. And there's a lot of green in this sermon. Just letting you know up front. <laughs> this is a, a green-filled sermon <laughs> in these notes here. And we're just going to uh, kind of go through and, and stuff that is uh, maybe a little more obvious, that doesn't need a little more elaboration, um, that I'll just kind of give the Bible verse and, and read it and we'll move on. And then we'll pause uh, at least a few spots of stuff that maybe is a little trickier, uh, stuff that stands out. But before we get into that, just a note on different translations uh, of the Apostles' Creed. So there's many different uh, ways that that's written, uh, this can be written. I, I assume most of you are probably aware this was not written in English uh, originally, right? So no matter what, uh, if you're reading it in English, you're dealing with a translation. Um, and we're uh, just dealing with some of the difficulties of language there. So, so if you grew up saying the Apostles' Creed, or if you, or you maybe that's a regular part of, of your faith, um, you might notice little things in the one that we just read that are different, little words that stand out, little words that, that aren't quite what, what we said growing up or aren't what I have memorized, or, or maybe I don't know what it was before, but I know that that's different, you know, kind of thing. And that's, that's fine. That's part of what it means to take uh, a document in another language and put it into our own. Um, a few examples of some of the changes uh, over time, one of them is just stuff that's just older language. It's older ways of, of speaking English. So uh, maybe you grew up with, with a lot of the ifs uh, in the Apostles' Creed. If you don't know what I mean, it's, it's like sitteth instead of sit or sits. Um, or from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead uh, instead of from there. Um, or you get the, you know, he'll come, come to judge the quick in the dead. Maybe some of you know that one. Uh, so instead of living, it's quick, and it just simply means living. Uh, so as, as we kind of go through uh, time, we don't normally call living people quick anymore. We call fast people quick, so it gets a little confusing. Uh, so the language changes, and uh, you see little things like that. There's other ones that change to try to give some clarification. Because, again, this is a, this is a pithy thing. This is, this is a thing where... Uh, all of these lines are intentionally put in there, right? This, this is not just slapped together in one afternoon by a, by a couple people in one room. So, uh, for example, this line, and I'll get back to it much, much later in the sermon, but he descended into hell stands out, I think, to many of us, right? You're like, what is that part? And, and where is that in the Bible? <laughs> and, and how does this work? Well, uh, a lot of 
traditions say he descended into Hades. Well, that's confusing, because now that sounds like we're talking about Greek mythology. Uh, but remember, in the New Testament's written in Greek. So we have uh, a Greek word that we're dealing with. Or sometimes you'll read, he descended into the dead, or he descended into the grave. And, and again, I'll get back to that, but that's just another example of things that, that shift. And, and the point is not that the meaning has shift. The point is that how we write, you know, words have meaning, right? I mean, so we're not just trying to put words into a different language. We're trying to get, get the meaning of this sentence into here, and, and that shifts over time. Uh, the translation we just read, another example, says the Holy Christian Church. And a lot of you may be more familiar with the Holy Catholic Church uh, there. And Catholic is, of course, lowercase c in the Apostles' Creed, and it means church of all. It doesn't mean Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> but, but if you've read it in, in Protestant churches growing up, they probably brought that up because uh, that could be a sensitive thing, that we're not talking about the, the Roman Catholic Church. We're talking about uh, the church of all. So this translation that we just read said the Holy Christian Church to try to bring some clarity. Um, again, we'll get back to those as we kind of go through, but the point is that none of this is written in English originally, and we are trying to read it in English, and there's scholars that dedicate their entire lives to doing this kind of thing, and there's always this debate of what in language do you leave what in language do you take away? What becomes confusing? Uh, what once was a common way of saying something, uh, a couple generations later becomes kind of an odd way of saying something. Uh, it sounds like Shakespeare's talking kind of thing. And then pretty soon, not long after, the meaning is completely lost. And it's, and it's just confusing. So that's always the debate in all of these translations. So all that to say, if you like a different one, I don't know, like, like a different one, that's fine. <laughs> there's, there's, not some, there's not some sense of like, here's, here's the answer. This isn't, uh, this isn't the New Testament. This is, this is the Apostles' Creed, and I think we need to kind of see some of those distinctions. Well, let's start walking through here. First line, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. Big thing to notice here is that in a polytheistic world, which this was being written into, remember there's, there's many Roman gods, there's many Greek gods, there's many Egyptian gods. It is important at the beginning of a statement to say what god you're talking about. I think we overlook that a lot. There's a point here where it is saying, what god are you talking about? And the creed answers that. It says, God, the Father Almighty. Well, which one? The, the maker of heaven and earth. That, that's the God. So it's kind of setting the stage. This is, this is who we're talking about. God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You know, a lot of these other lowercase g gods, they, they were a god of a certain area. They were territorial. They were not almighty. They, they maybe had a city that was their area, or if they were bigger, maybe they had a whole region, but, but they could just kind of be adapted together. But they viewed them as having like domains, uh, like kingdoms, really. And, and it's something entirely different here to say we are talking about God, the Father Almighty. The one that is limited by nothing. Uh, nothing is impossible for him. That's the God we're talking about. Here's Luke 1, verse 37. It simply says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. 
Second line, maker of heaven and earth. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There we go, and it, and it simply kind of goes through this way. The next line in, in the largest section is about Jesus Christ, right? That's pretty obvious as you're reading it. And the reason was, in the early church, that was the most debated area, was about Jesus Christ. So, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. So his only son, two verses there, John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus Christ, his only Son, but also our Lord. Our Lord, Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So again, I, I talked last week about how the Apostles' Creed, uh, it reflects the light of Scripture. That, that's kind of what's going I use the analogy of the moon reflecting the light off the sun. That the moon can be beautiful, but it's only beautiful because it's the sun's light that's shining on the moon. So this is the same in the Apostles' Creed. So as we walk through, remember it is, it is Scripture that is shining, and it might be reflecting back through the, through the Creed, uh, but it is Scripture here. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Matthew 1, verse 20, among many other places. Uh, this is... Uh, talking about Joseph, or talking to Joseph, it says, But after he, meaning Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. We'll pause here a little bit. First, this, this Pontius Pilate part, again, something we often don't realize in our own culture, is that this is actually not just talking about Jesus' trial and his crucifixion. Uh, it's actually giving us a date. So, so there's a lot of people named Jesus in the first century world. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, American, uh, English-speaking uh, evangelicals don't often name their kid Jesus. Uh, different languages do around the world. Different cultures do, of course. But uh, we don't really think about it. But there's, there's other people named Jesus walking around. There's even other ones that are claiming to be the Messiah. So uh, what Jesus are we talking about? Well, we are talking about the Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate. We're given some date. Uh, this is how they did dates back then. You, you read this in other things, you know. In the fourth year of emperor so-and-so, uh, this happened. Or sometimes in the Old Testament, it would be like uh, 15 years after the big earthquake. You know, it's assuming you know this event, uh, then this happened. Um, and we do that a little bit in our own time, but not as often. People say, when did you start at the church? And I'll say, well, about three months before we all knew what COVID meant. <laughs> right? But that's an accurate date. You get what I'm saying. Uh, there's a little more there. I'm saying a little more than just saying uh, a couple years ago. But, uh, but we still do it. 
So, so Pilate was prefect, was, was his title, for about 10 years in Judah and Samaria. Uh, so actually we're given a pretty precise date of what Jesus we're talking about. But it also has more there. So uh, this is Matthew 27, a little longer, it's verses 22 through 23. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all, meaning the crowd, they all answered him, crucify him. Why? What crime has he, has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. The last part of that sentence of the creed is that Jesus not only suffered under Pontius Pilate, but was also crucified. Um, and, and under crucified, Matthew 27 34 through 37. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Next line, he was crucified, died, and was buried. Matthew 27, 50 through 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again. I said we would get back to this one. This one's a little confusing, uh, but I think it's really uh, good to dive into here a little bit. Uh, so what is going on with this phrase, he descended into hell? Again, some may remember this translation being different, maybe, maybe Hades, uh, or descended into the dead, or descended into the grave. Uh, I think those are all good, none of those, none of those are bad. Uh, so what's happening is our English is limiting us here, and we're not used to it. Because if you know much about the English language, we have a lot of words. Uh, just ask someone who's trying to learn English uh, as, as, as a second language. We have so many words. But every once in a while, we come up with a situation where another language has more words than us. And it makes it difficult to translate things. And this is one where Greek... Uh, which is where the, you know, the New Testament is written in, uh, has this word Hades. And Hades is, is a little more complex than our word hell. Uh, or at least how we commonly use hell in, in today's world. Um, so Hades is also, it's at, at the same time, it's the place of the dead. It's the underworld. Uh, you may know the Greek god named Hades. He, he's the one who's there. So there's both the location and the Greek god. Um, and, and the New Testament would take away the Greek god part, but it still only has to use the language. So it's still using this word Hades. And uh, it can be the place of the dead, but it's also the grave. Because the grave is also the place of the dead. 
so to speak, or, or a tomb or, or anything like that. So at the same time, you have also a limiting thing in Greek where you have Hades is, is the place where uh, the deceased go, so to speak, but Hades is also the grave. And, and what does that mean for us as we translate? Well, as you can see, that's very different than hell or how we often use it as this eternal place of punishment, right? This eternal place of separation from God. That is, that's also biblical. It's called the lake of fire. It's in the book of Revelation. Uh, it's not that that's not there, um, but it's not, it's not exactly the same. So you can see why the grave or the place of the dead, it's, it can be kind of this waiting time. Uh, remember, they're, they're living, a lot of this is written on the other side of Jesus' resurrection. It's written on the other side of the cross. So, so uh, there's good people, really good people in the Old Testament that are described as going to what we would translate as, as Hades into the New Testament. Um, and it's not saying that, that they aren't uh, with God, it's certainly not saying that they're this place of eternal punishment, but, but it can also be kind of this waiting time. So again, we have three definitions now <laughs> for, one, for one Greek word. And uh, for not bogging it down too much, I, I do want to emphasize that how we use hell, that does exist. Again, Revelation 20, verses 13 through 14, but, but look here how Hades is also used. So Revelation 20, 13 through 14. Then the sea gave up their dead that were in it, and death and Hades, remember the grave, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So now we get the lake of fire. So then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death is what it says. So Revelation is complicated in its own way, uh, as I'm sure most of you are probably aware. Um, but, but there's something linguistically also happening here. I think we can admit that, right? There's something uh, of trying to figure out what is going on. So I will, I'll say it this way. I think it might be a little easier. I'll say what it's certainly not saying, or what most biblical scholars will say that it is not saying. It is not saying this in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus died, that Jesus went to hell, and that Jesus continued to suffer and was tormented for three more days and then was raised on Easter. That, that it might sound like it's saying that because of that word hell, but it's most certainly not. Uh, and we can see that, again, from, from Scripture. So Luke 23, verses 42 through 43. Jesus speaking to the, the criminal on the cross next to him. And Jesus said, or he said, the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Matthew 27, 50 through 51 and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. Again, this is after the cross. This is, this is not on uh, Easter. And why is the turtin, why is the turtin? That's nice. 
Why is the curtain torn? Uh, in that moment, well, at that moment, uh, the people of God had full access to God. Uh, the time on the cross was done. Uh, Jesus' work was finished. There was no more suffering left to be done. There was no more time. There, there wasn't this time where then he descended into hell and then, then he was tortured for three days. Some churches have taught that uh, over time. I just don't see it in the Bible. Um, what I see in the Bible is that at that moment, at the end of the cross, Jesus died. And he really did die. And, and that's actually the main emphasis of this point of the Apostles' Creed, because that was the main debated thing for the people of the time, is, is they, they doubted that Jesus died. They said, well, if, if he was God, then he wouldn't die. So, so he, it looked like he died. That was what some people taught. It, it seemed like he died, but really he, was, he didn't die. Well, that's just not in the Bible. That's, that's just not uh, what the New Testament teaches us. So, so it's, again, it's this part where we get a little confused on language. Uh, hopefully that helps. Um, but but this, this Greek word does not play well with our English. And, and we're having a problem with it uh, right here. But, but I think we can understand uh, what, what's going on. Jesus died. He really died. And, and they put him in a tomb. And he was dead. And, and, and it really did happen. And he was resurrected later, but he can only be resurrected if you truly died. And, and that's uh, the major emphasis uh, in that part there. Next line, on the third day he rose again. Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7. And the angel said to the women, again, they're at, they're at the tomb here, and the angel says to them, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Next line, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He ascended into heaven, Luke 24, 50 through 53. When he had led them out of the victory of Bethany, he lifted up, or of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he, he lifted them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Next line, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Luke 22, verses, verse 69, and this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, but from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Next line, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The next whole section uh, turns once again, and now we're, uh, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. I have three verses here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. I have much to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Then the coming of the Holy Spirit onto the church in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Next line, the Holy Christian Church. Again, sometimes translated the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, almost exclusively in that, translated with a lowercase c on Catholic, meaning it is not speaking of the Roman Catholic Church, although um, they might translate it that way. I'm not sure. Um, but Catholic means, it's simply this old word, and it means universal. It means church of all. Uh, so what this is saying, for the sake of simplicity, is the, is the holy Christian church. It's that you believe uh, in a church that is bigger than this room that you're sitting in right now. It's that you believe in a church that, that, that us here in the mountains of Calvary, we're not the only people that have ever gotten it right. It's kind of what you're saying. We're, we're not exclusive in that way. We're not saying uh, everyone else has been wrong and we got it and we got our own little like formula and we figured it out and they're all uh, incorrect in some way. But, but instead, you're saying, I believe that, that believers, that many people have put their faith in Jesus and, and that I'm part of something much bigger uh, than, than this thing here. Uh, that I'm part of something that, that stretches around the whole world. And, uh, and not only stretches around the whole world, it stretches back in time. Uh, that this, is some, this is a part of something that is, that is very, very large. So again, church of all. So uh, in this translation, it is translated to the Holy Christian Church. Romans 12, verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. The next line is similar but different. The communion of saints. Again, past, present, future. Uh, these are the people of God. It's not, uh, again, the saints that some traditions might, might talk about where you kind of pray to a saint and you don't pray uh, to God. It's saying that we are all saints. The church I grew up in, that was the name of it, All Saints Lutheran Church. Um, you're all saints. Congratulations. 
If, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, uh, and that is, that is you, then you are uh, all saints. Uh, and, and it's saying that we believe in the, the community of the faithful, uh, past, present, and future, something bigger than ourselves. Luke 17, verses 20 through 22, this is Jesus himself praying for the church. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning, meaning the, the apostles, the ones that are in front of him. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Next line, the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You may recognize that from, from what we say during communion uh, here at church. Again, uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. The resurrection of the body. Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. It's a little longer, but, but, it's, but it's good. All right, so stick with me. Again, Luke 24, 36 through 43. While they were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Or, and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you have seen that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe in it because or while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So what's the point here? The point is that Jesus is not a ghost on Easter. He's really resurrected. It's his body. It looks different. The disciples uh, can't quite understand it. There's something about this new, heavenly, new, uh, resurrected body. And, and also what's important here is, is that as Jesus is resurrected in this new body, he's, he's not the only one. He's the first. And that's, that's what the, the resurrection of the body is pointing at, is that just as he is, so, so will all those who believe in him be resurrected, in not just a spirit form, but, but a body into a new heavens and a new earth. 
1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. And so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. And it is raised imperishable. Again, there's something different happening here, but it's still, it's still a body. Verse 43, And it is sown in dishonor and raised in glory. And it is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. And it is sown in a natural body and raised in a spiritual body. Last line. And the life everlasting. Amen or amen or depending on, again, what church you grew up in. John three sixteen through 17. Looking at the life everlasting. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Again, the beauty of the Apostles' Creed is its ability to reflect Scripture. So this is your behind-the-scenes tour. Remember, you're, you're looking at, okay, what, what's kind of the core of what's going on in, in Christianity? I want to peel back the curtain a little bit. I want to see uh, a little bit of where this is coming from, and, and not only uh, what's being taught, but where is it in the Bible? What's going on? And if you want, I can certainly just, I mean, it's all right in front of me. I can make this list <laughs> if it would be helpful to anyone. Um, and, and it is helpful to look through. Um, because if you read the entire Bible, it can be a little hard to say, tell me, what's the, what's the core of Christianity? What is this all about? So we are thankful that other Christians in the broader Christian community, remember, that other believers have done uh, a lot of this work and have made these kind of statements where we can say this is... Uh, not only what the Apostles' Creed says, but this is what the New Testament is saying. This is, this is biblical Christianity. This isn't Christianity plus something else. This is what the Bible says. And I'll leave with this. This is our scripture reading earlier today. Romans 10, 9-15. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it goes on in verse 14, and this is, this is the application for us today. Verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So my charge to you all is to be people of the good news. Again, don't let this word preach make it sound like that only happens up here. (laughs) This is a a verse for Christians. It's not a verse for pastors. And it says, how can the world know who Jesus is? How can the world know unless someone comes to them? And, and how can someone come unless they are sent? Well, good thing is we send you out at the end of each service. <laughs> right? So you've been sent, and you'll be sent again, and we'll keep sending you over and over again. <laughs> but, but there's a point of of this where uh, we need to take that good news out into our world. And I was, um, I was at Cecile's house. There, there was a few of us that were there. I didn't tell her I was going to say this. It's about that bear thing. Uh, now she knows what I'm talking about. Now she's not afraid anymore. Uh, and, and we were talking about youth ministry and getting, getting youth group going again and, and doing some of that, which is very exciting. And uh, there was this candy jar on the center table, and it has this bear, and this bear's like holding this candy jar. I don't know how he's positioned. He's struggling under the weight of the candy. Uh, and it's this glass jar on top, and then there was candy in it. And, and as I looked at it, I just kept thinking, um, how many of us make one of those little pieces of candy like our Christian faith? Like it's one of the things in the jar. It's one of the things in the bowl. We have, we have this other part of our life, we have this, we have that, that's all compartmentalized, and then we have, oh, and we're a Christian. And, and I remember saying to the group, I said, what if, what if our Christian faith is more like the bear? It's the bear that's holding it all up in the first place. And we have all these other things, but, it, but it's more like the structure. It's more like the bottom of it. And, and that is my hope for you all, that as you go out into the world, I don't want this to be a Sunday morning thing that you do because it feels nice or, or because I like going to church and visiting with people. I mean, that's good, but, but if this doesn't matter on Monday, uh, then you're really missing out on a lot of what Christianity is. You're really missing out on a lot of what Scripture calls us to be and, and how we behave. And how can they know unless we come? Right? How can the world know unless the church uh, preaches the good news? And again, I don't mean chapel in the pines, I mean the people. Right? The people of God living out their lives and, and recognizing what's the candy in the jar and what's the bear underneath, and my metaphor is running thin. Uh, but you get what I'm saying, I think. Uh, this is important stuff. So that's, that's why, I guess, that's why we... we I've done this series on this creed because I think it can kind of boil down uh, a little bit of what, what's the behind-the-stage stuff? What's the behind-the-scenes tour? What's going on here? Uh, but if it stays here, I, I think this passage tells us that it has pretty limited value. 
Uh, so let's bring it out uh, into the world.